early in your career, we know you're not rich. The rest of the world thinks it, but that's because they don't really understand. And while many of you have heard that you need an estate plan, most of you aren't exactly sure what that means or why you even need it. So let's jump in and get you informed. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. We're going to be talking all about estate planning, and I am just going to be talking myself all about it because we get a ton of questions about estate planning. And so I figured, you know what, let's go through and do quite a deep dive on what estate planning is, why you need it. And I think before we get into those details, I want to tackle some of the obstacles that you might be telling yourself on why you either haven't done it, which is likely, or why you don't need it, which I hope is not the case. And like almost everything in life, the decision usually comes down to time or money. Look, I get it. I know you're busy, but if you have the time to watch Bachelor in Paradise or football on Sundays, you're going to have time to get your estate planning completed. Time is your most precious commodity, way more than money ever will or even should be. And balancing that heavy workload and probably a family and some sort of a social life and everything pretty much in between is tough. I get it. I'm totally in the middle of it myself every single day. But if you have kids and you don't have your estate plan completed, this needs to be moved way up the priority list. Honestly, it's almost not even for you at this point, but it's for the well-being of your kids. And so the second challenge that you probably or obstacle you probably have is around money. And first, please don't go cheap and do this off legal zoom or some other DIY type solution, unless maybe you're a med student. Even then I generally wouldn't recommend it. If you're out of training, just do it right the first time. Hire a licensed estate planning attorney that's in your state to get this completed. And you don't need all the upgrades and the bells and whistles that they're likely to push on you. You just really need the core documents. And that's a will, a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney for healthcare, and depending on your assets, a living trust. Honestly, expect to pay about $2,000 to $2,500 for this to be completed correctly. And just like I don't like paying for insurance premiums because you're not going to really see the benefit until you're dead, this is still going to give you peace of mind that your family and your loved ones are taken care of. I know 2000 bucks is a good chunk of cash. There's so many more fun ways that I could think about spending that type of money, but this is incredibly important for a whole bunch of reasons that I'm about to get into. And I think the benefits, let's go on the flip side of this, right? The benefits are that you're going to have peace of mind and you're going to have control over who you want to be in control of your home or your business, uh, your retirement accounts when you pass away but your best intentions become pretty much meaningless without a written, official, legalized estate plan. And it ensures that the people you care about are taken care of. Honestly, it actually protects against the unexpected. 
there's likely going to be a lot of things that you're going to want to write down or follow up with as you listen to the rest of the show. And some of you are in a place that you can't write these things down, but you can go to your app and where you're listening to this podcast right now in the description, there's going to be a link. If you click on that, you'll get emailed our guide that we created just for the show to make sure that you capture everything that you need to get your estate planning completed. So going into this, I think there are a few terms that you probably need to know in order to understand what the heck I'm even going to say. So let's go high level. Let's get some terms out of the way. First, let's go with estate planning just in general. And that is basically a written plan that's designed to identify your beneficiaries, which we'll talk about in a second, ensure that your property will be transferred appropriately to those that you designate after your death. It could be to minimize taxes, determine any long-term care plans, or any funeral arrangements that you choose. An estate plan is particularly helpful in reducing time and money that I referenced, right? That your survivors now must spend to resolve all the assets and liabilities that you have. The next term I think we need to discuss is a will. At its simplest form, it's a legal document that states your financial and medical wishes. It ensures that your property and personal effects are cared for in the manner of your choosing. And more importantly, a will will provide a quick resolution to your state than if you just didn't have one in place. I'm going to reference the four pillars of estate planning. And this is one of those four pillars that make up that foundation. Dying without a will is called intestate. And if you die intestate, your assets and debt will be distributed evenly among your heirs. And you may think about your heirs are completely obvious or even that you don't have any heirs, but part of the state's responsibility in taking over your estate is to identify your heirs. And that could be a surviving spouse, your siblings, your children, maybe even aunts and uncles, cousins, toss them all in there, right? The state could also decide that in the absence of any of those more obvious relatives, your heirs are relatives maybe you've never even heard of. The state generally looks for relatives or relatives by marriage, but as it goes down the line until they find someone, they might be skipping over anyone who you might have been close to in a personal relationship, but not legally. And kind of going with this is like foster children or stepchildren. So it's important to have a will so the state doesn't decide what's going on. A living will, which is also known as an advanced care directive, is a living document that clearly states a person's wishes, your wishes, for the end of life care. And it's only valid until the time of death. And this is what I would say is pillar number two for our foundation of estate planning. A power of attorney, and while rules differ in every state, and that's the kind of the bummer part about estate planning is that every state is specific. So you, like I said before, you need to have an estate planning attorney in your state, but for a power of attorney, the rules again differ, but it is a legal permission for another person to act on your behalf with concern to legal matters. This comes to our third of our four pillars of estate planning. Now, I think you also should know what probate is because I will 
probably refer to that as we're talking. And that is basically the legal process to verify that the will that you have is valid. A living trust, which is our fourth and final pillar, is an enforceable document that is crafted while you're living that can either help reduce estate taxes, plan for your minor children, ensure that your family has privacy, and potentially save your adult children from themselves, essentially, because you will be able to limit their access of how they would receive your assets or funds that you would leave to them. And there's two types of trusts, uh, revocable and irrevocable. And I'll make sure to kind of talk about that when we get to the living trust portion of this. There's a couple more that I want you to know because I'll use these. And the next is trustee. And that basically has the word trust as its base. And this person you choose as your trustee is the person who you trust implicitly to take care of uh, the responsibilities for carrying out your wishes and respecting your choices, both medically and financially. A beneficiary, which I referenced before, has benefit at its root. And this is the person or persons who benefit from the proceeds of your estate. And the last one that I want you to know, because if you start researching this more, you will see this come up and it will be a little confusing, is a grantor. And that is the person who has the trust. In other words, you. And you are granting another person the legal right to step in and manage your affairs should you not be able to do so on your own. So now with the terms out of the way, let's get to kind of the meat of this show. Death comes to all of us and no one knows better than all of you listening, the physicians out there. You guys know this. And despite knowing that it's the natural order of things, the reality of death is a really difficult thing to face. And more than simply a physical process, it's really a, an emotional process. And what most people don't realize is there's, there's also a really important financial component to death as well. And I know I'm being Debbie Downer over here, but just stay with me. You may feel like doing an estate plan is only for people who have things to be left behind. Uh, most physicians, the task of just paying down loans is long and often feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I remember what that felt like. And we see it every day with clients. And when the road is long and the end never feels near and your debts in six figures, it probably feels like there's not many assets to plan for. Yet estate planning is a critical component of protecting what you have, whether or not you have that debt. So let's go into the elements of estate planning. Planning your estate involves creating a set of legal documents detailing your wishes for what you want to happen to your assets and liabilities. And if you don't make these decisions while you're alive, someone else will. And that someone will be the state in which you live in. To plan an estate is just a fancy way of saying you took the legal steps and the responsibility to make those decisions about dispersing your assets and liabilities after you die. And you'll need a set of legal documents to make sure that everything is taken care of in the way that you want. So let's go over some of the actions or the action steps that you're going to need to be doing. And the more you've thought these things through and have documented, the easier it will be for you to have that discussion with the attorney. So you're going to want to 
put in place the four pillars that we talked about that make up the foundation of estate planning, which again were the will, the living trust, your advanced care directive, and a power of attorney. And I just gave you an overview of those definitions, but let's go into some of the more important things that you need to know when putting the estate plan in place. So as I've referenced a few times with kids, let's talk about guardians. If you have minor children, who will be responsible for their care should you die or become incapacitated? If they're adults, consider what, if anything, you wish to leave them or pass down to them. Naming a guardian and also a division of assets are important. So if the children are minors, you definitely want to consider a trust for this reason. And this can ensure that your money and other assets are more professionally managed or let's say with a neutral third party until your children arrive at the age that you designate to receive the control over those assets. Essentially, it's like when they hit a certain age or maybe certain ages, they get a percentage or a certain dollar amount of whatever you want to leave them. And a guardian will help be responsible for the kids and everything that kind of goes with it. Now let's go and talk about beneficiaries because your kids are likely to be the beneficiaries, but it's the person or persons who will be receiving assets that you're essentially leaving behind. And you can set up, and I definitely would set up, primary and contingent beneficiaries. It's just really smart to have backups in these certain things. You want to make sure that when you do this, though, that all the beneficiaries on your accounts are up to date. You don't want to forget things and you want to make sure that the money is going to the people that you really want it to have. And don't leave that up to a judge to decide where the money should go as the likelihood of having the assets getting to the places that you want them to go is a lot lower in that case. You're going to want to choose an executor, which really it's a representative who handles your estate once you've passed on. And this person doesn't need to be an attorney or a legal expert of any kind. It could be really anyone you wish. But ideally, that person that you're going to choose knows you well, and you can definitely trust them with your best interests and personal wishes at heart. And the executor's role is to really ensure that your expressly stated wishes, as legalized in your estate plan, are actually carried out. So I've talked a a couple bits and pieces here about a living trust, and I think we need to go into that a bit more because I get a fair amount of questions surrounding this in most of our client calls when we start talking about estate planning. There's two types, a revocable and an irrevocable. And the revocable is exactly what it sounds like. It's something you can revoke or change your mind. Irrevocable actually is also what it sounds like. And it's basically you set it up and it can't be modified or terminated without the permission of the grantors named beneficiary or beneficiaries. A living trust is a way for you to legally entrust your affairs and estate to the oversight of a trusted individual whom you designate. When you set up a trust, you need to transfer your assets in the trust your name doesn't go on the trust as the title. Rather, the trust will have its own name separate from you. And this is really key to understand. So that should you become incapacitated, your trustee technically makes decisions for the trust, not for you as an individual. 
And trust for physicians or honestly anyone can be written to adhere to any terms that you wish. As an example, you you may wish to set up some terms so that your children receive a certain percentage or set of proceeds from your state at certain times in their life. So they could have it, let's say, all at age 21 or half of it at 21 and then half of it at 30, whatever you choose. It's particularly useful for people that have minor children because giving a bunch of money to minor children or even fairly young adults could be a burden more than a gift. And it also could just be blown all in Vegas and you definitely don't want that to happen. A living trust will also help ensure privacy because wills are public record, but a living trust is a private document. And without a trust, that means that the terms of your will could be made public. So as you're putting all these things together, make sure you review your financial accounts. And I would say have a net worth statement created, which by the way, we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode on how to create this and why we would even want to create this and track this. But if you don't have it set up, at least get a list of assets together. And what I mean by that is have a list of like your cash accounts, right? Your savings and your checking accounts, your money in the bank and any retirement accounts that you have, or if you own real estate, um, or specifically if you own the property outright versus you have debt on it through a mortgage, you need to know where all these things are. It could even be a business, by the way. Like you wanna make sure you're tracking all of those things on your financials. Some things that should be tracked that most people forget are things like artwork or other valuables like collectible cars or jewelry. All of that stuff needs to be included. And if it's something that you can get an appraisal for, make sure you do that and make sure it's all together in one place. On the other side of this, add up your liabilities. And liabilities are simply just your debts. Anything that you owe on a credit card or student loans, um, a mortgage, like those are things, you know, could be car loan or a business loan. All of those things are liabilities. And you want to know where all those are. Because if something happens to you, people need to know where those things are at. Make it easy on them. So as I'm going through this, I'm also thinking like, well, there's some big mistakes that physicians make. And I think the biggest one that we see people making is kind of with this trust is, is titling the assets incorrectly or just not funding their trusts. You guys go through all this trouble of getting everything in place that I'm discussing, and then you fail to change the bank accounts over or maybe title your home incorrectly, or you don't actually go through and update your beneficiaries depending. And that could be very dependent on the state and what your documents specifically state, but please don't make that mistake. This plan only works if you implement it. And if you forget to transfer assets in your trust, like don't freak out. Your lawyer can create a a pour over will, which will include those forgotten assets but those assets will not avoid probate, kind of defeating the whole purpose. So make sure that you're actually funding, titling all of the stuff correctly. And as I was thinking about this episode and how I wanted to structure it, I was, I, I know that there's a lot of questions I get, but there's some really common ones that I get. And I figured, you know what, let me just pose the question and answer it so you guys can maybe not have to email or put it in the community group asking because I can just do it here. So a couple of common questions I get. One of them is 
how often do I need to review or change the estate plan? Honestly, I'd review the highlights every year. Look at the beneficiaries, the executor, the guardians, all that stuff. Is it all the same? Did anything change? Like there's some major reasons to make changes. Uh, like if your beneficiary passed away or your marital status changed and you know whether you got married or divorced, if you ended up adopting or you inherit a, you know, a substantial gift or property, right? Or your kids have kids, right? You might end up being a grandparent. You could even move to a different state. I moved from Vegas to California. I had to go do a bunch of research to figure out, did I need to actually update it and what needed to be updated from our estate planning documents? That's really big stuff. So all of that stuff can be reasons that you actually need to go and review or change your estate. And I've seen it where you think someone would be just, let's talk about guardians real quick. Like I've seen it where you think someone's going to be a great guardian for your kids. And then some traumatic event occurs and you see firsthand how that person responds. Sometimes it's not how you would expect. And maybe it might even cause you to doubt who should be responsible for your kids. Because if that person who you deemed was a guardian ended up behaving or acting or having a lot of issues and, you know, behaving poorly. If something was to happen to you, would they react the same way? And would that be impossible for your kids? And do you feel comfortable? And if not, well, maybe you need to make changes to your documents and really don't sit on that. Like, please make sure those changes get done ASAP. Another question I get a lot kind of sticking with the kids is what do we do if we have kids? And I know that I've talked a bit on it, but if you have minor children, like at minimum, you need a will, regardless of any other state planning that you may do or take care of properly, ensuring that you have a legally binding plan in place regarding the care of your children is critical. Decide which responsible adult or adults you want to be their guardians. And honestly, I would set up a time to speak with those people and ask them if they're willing to be named as your guardian in your will. Don't just ask them and then stare at them and expect a response back. Give them time to think and digest that information. Let them consider the ramifications of saying yes and get back to you at a later date because it's a really big deal. Be prepared for them to say no. What makes it even harder is to honor that. It's a very big decision and you want them to not take it lightly because it is your children. But I would also identify a few backup individuals should either the person that you originally thought declined or if something was to happen to them, you don't want to have to update right away. I would also have some backup people in mind. The third kind of biggest question I think we get asked is, what is a living trust? And if I have one, do I still need a will? And I kind of talked about this, but a living trust, again, is a plan created while you're alive where all your assets are available for your benefit until you die. And at that time, they're going to pass to your designated beneficiaries. It helps to avoid your assets going into probate. And that's honestly a really lengthy court proceeding and process. And it's terrible. So you don't really want that. But that's the real key difference between the trust and a will is that your trust will also not only avoid probate, but it allows for privacy. This last one seems like an odd question when I was thinking about what do we typically get asked, 
but it comes up way more than you think. So the question is, should pets be considered in an estate plan? I know that my pets, my dogs, now dog, but dogs are part of the family. Pets in most families are considered part of the family and can require care if you're no longer able to care for them yourself. I think it's best not to assume that a family member or a friend will love your pet the way that you do or care for them or take responsibility of your animal. And there's some pets, um, some reptiles or birds uh, that can live for like decades. First thing came to mind is like parrots. They outlive their owners quite frequently and they require a ton of care. So if you want to make sure they're appropriately cared for, you need to make sure that your estate plan includes decisions for who would take care of your pets if you were to die and to ensure that they're cared for in a manner of your choosing. So to really kind of round this out, please get your estate planning done and find an estate planning attorney that does this all day, every day. There's no reason not to select one that specializes in this. Expect to pay a flat fee, like I said, $2,2500, expensive but realistic. And sometimes they might try to work with you on what's called a retainer. And it's not necessarily a bad method, but in reality, like there's so many people who will work on it through a flat fee that it's just an easier option to choose someone that charges that way. And once you get everything in place, this is probably the second biggest mistake that everyone does is they don't actually read it. So make sure that if you're going through this process and you're thinking through everything, make sure you read it every word. Don't treat it like that employee benefit package that, you know, that one, the 90 page document that you got when you started working and you're like, eh, I'm just going to click archive or I'm just going to stick it in a drawer. Yeah. Actually read this one, please. And make sure it's exactly what you want. And I'd even like literally print it out, have it out, pen in hand and go through it and make sure that you write down any questions that you have and make sure you go back to that estate planning attorney and resolve any issues, even if you feel like it's a minor one. Don't think that because this plan is written in very legalized language that it's beyond your expertise to review. Because your estate plan represents your life's work and your money, and you are the most important person who needs to understand it, not the attorney. So with that, just make sure you're asking the right questions. In a few weeks, I'll be going over digital estate planning and what goes into it, why it's important, and how to really set it up so you can be prepared on the digital front as well. And between this show today and the upcoming digital estate planning episode I just mentioned, you're going to be really well informed to get all of your estate planning affairs in order. But please don't just sit on this info. Act. Get this stuff in place. It is super important. And now it's time for that important disclaimer. Thank you so much for being here. I'm honored because the podcast is about cash flow and budgets and financial goals, investments, estate planning, and really all things related to money and the details making those things worth pursuing in real life. And while these types of topics aren't the sexiest, you're here and that's what matters. I work really hard at delivering great information in the podcast, but here's the catch. I don't know anything about you 
or what your financial needs are unless you're already a client. And then that's a totally different story. So please consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners, before you take any action or make any decisions affecting your hard-earned money.